A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom, I'm slightly nervous about this guest. Why? Because she's like an international... No, Eve Barlow, a gorgeous friend of mine... I did an interview with her in The Guardian last week and she called her an international treasure and I think she's right. Yeah. She was a very important voice to many young women and women and probably men and a really refreshing voice and I mean I was what how old was I when Jagged Little Pill came out you were 11 but I sung those I mean I was singing Wine Dine 69 me um, when I was 10 and didn't know what I was talking about does he go down on you in the cinema yeah I, I didn't know what I was singing about is that my fault Jesse? no well, did you buy me the record yeah I used to play it all the time I just remember knowing all the words and definitely didn't know about some of the explicitness on it but they felt great to sing and then you look at her now yeah rousing kind of you know post me too movement and the same shit is happening basically so but yeah we're here to talk to the international superstar fantabulous fantabulous Alanis Morissette, who has a new record out, Such Pretty Forks in the Road. I think it's her ninth studio album. Oh, you've got a few to catch up, Jess. I know, Jesus. I feel pitiful with my four. Anyway, how are you, Mum? I feel pretty tired, actually. I'm ready for my holly bobs. I'm ready for a holiday too. I want to switch off. I want to get rid of these devices. I want to look at a book. I want to hold a book in my hand. Yeah, me too. I tell you what I'm going to be doing in September. I have two apple trees in my garden. I have a damson tree and a plum tree. So basically, every guest is going to get a, a chutney or a jam. a fruit. <laughs> or a pie. That is what you're getting. If you're coming on Table Manners, you will be getting something apple How exciting. I know, but they're like, there's lots. I've heard about you can rent a cherry tree. So my lovely neighbour over the road, Terry, we were chatting on the porch and her lovely friend turned up with a massive bag of cherries. And it's because she um, rents a cherry tree and you can go and pick them and you get kilos upon kilos why haven't we done that how nice is that you can go for the cherry blossom and then you go for the cherry picking and i forgive me gardeners um harvesters she said you can get them twice but i don't know if that meant the blossom bit and then the cherries or you get cherries twice a year but i just thought what a lovely present to do that get somebody to have a cherry tree that they go to and collect all their cherries cherries are the best thing in the world they're delicious at the moment and so i'm thinking about giving that all 
asking for it for a present but you'd end up with like kished wouldn't you you're gonna have to wait a year though darling yeah you could get one of those what are those big things those big urns and you put fruit in and it gradually turns into liquor Rumble goffs or something. My God, I could be making moonshine in the garage. Yeah. Oh, yes, Sam, I'm going to the garage to work on the assault bike. No, <laughs> it's prohibition in there. <laughs> I'm making old fashions and the gronies and don't worry about it. Cherry martinis. Ooh. Who thought of that? Come on. Oh, I'm a bit perked up now, having seen your beautiful face and to anticipating Miss Alanis Morissette. Hi. How are you? What's been going on? Quarantining, serving, eating. You've got the biggest smoothie I've ever seen in my life. This is actually not the smallest mason jar that I use. There's one that's bigger. <laughs> What's in it? Um, strawberries, bananas and oat milk. Delicious. It is actually. Where are you? Are you in San Francisco? I'm just outside of it, yeah. Oh, I thought you lived in Canada. My soul does. <laughs> Uh, then I was in Los Angeles for 25 years, and then now we just moved up about a year and a half ago to outside of the Bay Area. Is it very big little lies out there? Yes, it is. It's exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of murder. And, um, actually, I shouldn't joke about that. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty, It's you know what it is here? It's quiet. Oh, nice. Los Angeles is like, you know, there's a lot going on in that city. And not to say there's not a lot going on here, but it's a little less wild. Where are you? <laughs> we are, I'm in I'm in South London, and Mum nice. is in another part of South London. And okay. um, this is a really huge deal for us. So huge. thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. We've been so excited oh. because we're such big fans. And because oh, I realised... Mum is going to sing for you. No, I'm joking. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I wanted to, but this. I'm not. I'm going to refrain. <laughs> We might get you to sing later. But I realised that I played your album to Jessie when she was 11. And she knows all the words to it. And because she used to mimic and used to practice singing all the time, she sang all your words. Probably shouldn't Ooh. have known all your words. At that no, that's, that says something there, Mom. What kind of a mother? No, no but I know. they felt good on the tip of your tongue, you know? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. They felt no. good. Yes. There's a benign There's a benign version of swearing, you know, and um, my son and I have this agreement that if someone in the room is offended by swearing, that we refrain. But if no one's offended by it, we let it rip. So that's my kind of parenting, Mom. <laughs> of course it is. Okay. Hilarious, you too. How do you know if somebody's going to be offended by the swearing? You ask. Oh, oh. Well, maybe I need to do that. You do a little announcement. Like anyone in the room offended by swearing. And if so inevitably someone will say, yeah, I don't like swearing. And then my son will not. How old is your son? He's two months old. <laughs> <laughs> he's nine years old. It's <laughs> very advanced. No, uh, he's nine years old. Is he your, is he your, your oldest or your youngest? Oldest. Alanis, you taught me yeah. so many things, but this one could be the prize one, to be honest, because I'm the biggest swearer in the world. Yeah. And I'm good. We've had many a review on our podcast complaining about the swearing. And You're so maybe I need to tendencies. do, I think, yeah, and I think they've had to put an explicit thing before our thing now. Well, that's that's an invitation at this point. Yeah. 
So I'm like, listen, we kind of said it was going to be there, but this yeah. is an interesting point that maybe I do need to do the Alanis way of being like, okay. If you don't like swearing, don't listen to this. Is anyone offended? Well, fuck off. No, 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 no. Exactly. No, you know who else has a really, you know who has a great, I don't know, explanation history of swear words is a gentleman named Vsauce. Just check him out. Come on then. We watched it a hundred times. Vsauce. And Vsauce. He, I think the title of the, of the clip is called The Etymology or The History of Swearing or something. And he really lays it out to the point where it just makes swearing kind of a meh, a not, not a big deal. So my son and I have watched that a hundred times. Oh man, you, and I recommend it. Highly. You're my kind of parent. I love you. What else do you do? What what entertainment are you doing? What else in lockdown? do you do? Oh, like do your kids? Um, do you do you get around the guitar and sing? Are your kids musical? Are you doing things that I should learn about with finger painting? I need to know something else that you're doing. There's nothing. The only thing I ever do is follow their eyeballs. So I'll be, you know, I'll have, I'll be holding one of them and I'm invested maybe in them looking at these special new flowers that have bloomed and they're not not interested at all and they want to look over there and so I just sort of follow the eyeballs and then I'm okay I mean that's that's the number one thing I would say follow, follow the, the eyes eye- okay I like that okay follow the yeah. eyeballs and um ask if there's uh, should be swearing okay this is amazing um Alanis yes I love this and I love you and I already know that this is going to be fantastic my friend Eve Barlow interviewed you for the Gu- the Guardian recently and it came out oh, cool. and she said and she's a good friend of mine and I said oh we've got Alanis on our podcast and she said I felt high after speaking to her oh. you put her in the best mood she said it honestly was so wonderful oh, that's so and great. um <laughs> yeah I mean you seem to have that effect on everyone it's what I slip in the drink just before we do our interviews. No one knows about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really sparkly. <laughs> oh my God. Growing up in Canada, what was kind of life like around the dinner table in your household? <laughs> um, very lively. A lot of comedy, a little philosophy. Obviously food, but interestingly enough, food wasn't the focal point. It was more the fact that we were all in one place because we were all so busy in our own individual worlds that for us to actually all be sitting. How many? um, It was was five of us. Five kids? No, no, twin brother and an older brother, so three kids and mom and dad. You're a twin? I'm a twin. 12 minutes younger. Oh, wow. Okay, so, and you and your brother, like, were you squabbling a lot? I mean, just like, in, in were you utero? Best friends? <laughs> yeah, in utero, we just were like, <laughs> um, Who came out first? He came out 12 minutes first, and I, I like to say that he held the door very chivalrous out of the gate. <laughs> um, so sweet. We didn't squabble. I mean, we have squabbled. We're more that kind of telepathic, finish each other's sentences kind of twins. Mm. And... Um, I have a general sense of what's up with him, even though I haven't checked in once in a while and vice versa. But, um, you know, we've been through our moments. We're that close. I think it's inevitable that we'll step on each other's toes. And we have. And you said you talked about philosophy. My dad would initiate some sort of talk about anything that was going on, like any kind of social commentary we could bandy about. So whether it be what was happening in politics or pop culture, he was totally into. My family is very much into sports and... So there was always something to discuss. And, you know, 60% of the time it would lead to some family fight. (laughs) 
forever. Just, of course. You know. So, so what were you eating? What was I eating? What's a really memorable dish that your parents cook? Well, okay, so my mom is Hungarian. Oh, is she? And postpartum, I'm all about, like, cabbage and any... So people laugh. They're like, you're so Hungarian after you give birth. Um, so my mom would make chicken paprikash and goulash and... Mm. What do you call it? Brothy, stewy yumminess and potato. <laughs> it's just very European. And then when we went to Hungary together, I did a show there and I invited my mom and my aunt and they took us to all the restaurants and they would do radishes, like just thinly sliced radishes with salt. And that would be one of the one of the starters. Um, so, yeah. So anything like crunchy, slightly sour and then pungent, too, is good. But pun- see, I'm just talking about postpartum. Now I'm just talking about what I'm craving right now. I'd love some soup. <laughs> so so h- how old is your youngest? My youngest is 11 months old, almost a year. Crikey. Mm. And how long how long are we postpartum for? I've got two and I'm wondering whether I I think first of all postpartum is forever. <laughs> <laughs> um I remember once I was really really having major anxiety. Okay, so I had postpartum depression yeah. after the first and second and then postpartum mostly anxiety um after winter my son who's 11 months. And um Oh my gosh, post- I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm a living example, a walking a example of what happened. Yeah. Yes, your frontal cortex disappears. And it sucks because I usually rely on it. So basically, I'm not myself for two years. You asked how long postpartum was. I think the least amount of time it is is two years. May- probably more if it's untreated. Because I remember when yeah. I didn't treat it, I called a doctor. I said, does it get easier? Like if I white knuckle through this and soldier through it, can I just grind way way through it which is how I did a lot of things in my life and she said no it's going to get worse actually so you might want to address it so then I did and instantly I felt much more like myself but even medicated which I'm a big fan of if you need it um, Mm. you know I'm still just not myself but it's worth it because I look at my kids and I think there's going to be a day where I won't remember this won't remember my state (laughs) so um, it, it was made worth it but it's no joke. It's hard to explain it unless someone's been through it, too. It's hard to put into words. Do you still have postpartum anxiety with um, kind of after the birth of winter? Yes, especially because the timing was such that the the lockdown and keeping everyone safe yeah. all happened at the same time. So I think collectively yeah, right. as a planet, we were all in fight, flight, freeze. You can't really tend and befriend a pandemic, or can you? Fight, flight, freeze, tend and befriend, and then collapse, like, you know. So I think a lot of us are in the freeze mode, they, what we were, and now some of us are kind of thawing out and getting into the beautiful protests and, the, and some of the anger and some of the, how do we want our new normal to look? You know, do we, want, we don't want to go back to how it was, but what do we want? What's important to us? What is our value system now? You know, so it's fortuitous, if, if I can even say that, that it's giving us this opportunity to actually to think reflect, about yeah. You know, and then the other part is just traumatic and unusual. We're social creatures. We need each other and we don't have each other as much right now. I mean, FaceTime and Zoom and all these incredible technological ways are great. What is the situation at the moment? You you you're still locked down or can you go to social gatherings or you have to wear masks all the time? I know that masks, social distancing and ideally just sitting it out, to be perfectly honest, as best as, as you can. I mean, some people's environments are not are not such that they want to just stay home all the time. And I understand needing to get out, but it's really about masks and as best as possible social distancing and 
being a, a lovely little dose of paranoia, which I don't think is hard because I think a lot of us are just feeling paranoid right now. So if children, your children won't go back to school in August? We were home, We were unschooling them anyway. I've been unschooling for nine years with Ever, and we'll do that uh, with okay. our kids too. So in that sense, it was normal, except for the fact that with unschooling, you know, we were going to be on tour, and, and that's where they would learn. One of my children might be playing drums with Victor, who I play drums with, and another one is in the other room doing somersaults, and then the other one's sleeping in the hotel. You know, so there'd be a lot of sort of stimulation for them there but there seems to be plenty here too but my husband and I god bless us are, are trying to be their mates and their playmates which is great except it's physically exhausting because I'm not four but also <laughs> you are pr promoting a record right that oh yes <laughs> that lovely detail yeah yeah mm -hmm. and like I just brought one out a few weeks ago and like you wow. know it's that thing of I mean, I wanted to know with the postpartum anxiety is almost having a focus with the record helpful in that situation? Yes. Um, or does it all, all I mean, because I mean, this is what your ninth studio record? I don't even know. Yes. Okay. It's you've done a lot. <laughs> I just right? work here. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so like for you, does this feel, does it feel stressful promoting the record or is it almost like a nice escape? From... A reprieve. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit of a reprieve from, from the archetype of mom hat or, I mean, there's so many roles that yeah. any modern mom plays. There's about 25 of them out of the gate and then there's always extras per case. So my only concern in, on the larger scale is, okay, so the feminist movement has allowed it to be such that we are doing masculine and feminine things, but it's almost like we're overrolled now. <laughs> I have 42 roles and I, you know, back in the day, maybe it was oppressive and ridiculous and of course it had to change, but maybe they only had four roles and not to say it was, hard, it was easier then because it wasn't, then meaning what, 1920s or whatever. But right now, just as things have evolved and there's more empowerment, it just feels like we're doing, as moms, there's this load that, we, that, that is not often talked about, you know, that we're, that we're multitasking to, to a degree now that it's almost untenable, you know? We're just at that edge. I hear you on that <laughs> one. And unfortunately for my kids, I feel like they are the one, like, I mean, I... How old are they? Well, so are I've kids? got a f nearly four-year-old and a 16-month-old. So, oh my god! And they're, they're, they're <laughs> the amazing. Trenches. Yeah, it's. It, uh, but the thing is, uh, and I really felt like I wanted to prove a point with my. It was so ludicrous. But um, my daughter. What's the point? That well, the point I don't freaking know. But like that, I could do everything mm. to this kind could, of right. the, to this industry, and I I nearly ran myself to the ground with trying to tour with her, trying to keep finances right which was it, it was I mean it was a big old shit show but it's on full-time yeah and like my husband is incredibly supportive and he accepts that kind of I have to take this kind of more uh, it sounds really I don't know like stereotypical the, stereo yes I, absolutely and he's completely mm -hmm. cool about that but then you have that yeah, same inner turmoil husband. I mean I was I was speaking to my friend today who has chosen to not work and she was saying she felt the guilt in another way so it, we're all feeling bloody guilty mm. the whole freaking time yeah yeah the, the guilt the guilt is this little bedfellow along the journey but yeah it's like it's like 
I'm, I'm attempting whenever I feel that overwhelming sense of guilt that somehow I'm failing everything, right? Because because mm. there's too much, there's not enough bandwidth to do all the things that we love and prioritize. Mm. So on some level, math, just straight up math, I feel like I'm failing everybody. But you know what, Dan Siegel, whom I respect so much, um, met him at UCLA. He's been a mentor friend, and he basically said. If parents are doing upwards of about 60% of a quote-unquote good enough job, they're killing it. Good enough. And I yeah. and I, I was shocked because I thought, you know, my number's like, if I'm not doing 97%, I'm a failure. You know, so 60 was a revelation. I was like, 60? I could do 60% in my sleep. This is great news. <laughs> so instead of my constantly feeling like I'm failing. I'm looking for ways to see how each area is actually getting plenty of my bandwidth and my attention and my love and that it's in here that says there's some other standard by which I need to measure everything and it's just not possible. So I'm going to have to fail in some areas and, uh, you know, hopefully kick ass while I'm doing that. So where are your children at the moment? They're, are they playing in the garden? I keep them locked. They're in locked in a cupboard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because I just find that they're happier that way. Um, <laughs> no, they're uh, right now. One is probably at the pool, swimming, swimming. Um, my son, my 11 month old is napping. I just nursed him. And my oldest son is making his 95th animated show episode. He's been making this show during during lockdown he's oh wow he, yeah yeah he loves it he's good at it this is blowing my mind that you're schooling them like that do you have teachers that come in or are you just doing that as well because i'm complaining about being like woe is me but i could potentially send my children to nursery if i well if lockdown wasn't happening you know what i mean but you you're teaching them as well yeah yeah, yeah. a curriculum of sorts or is it Not less a of curriculum. a curriculum okay. it's less of a curriculum and i think a lot of parents right now understandably have reached out to me saying, okay, so we thought your unschooling thing was something we'd never even have to entertain, but tell us how to do it because we're basically doing it now. And the first thing I would want to say to anybody is don't worry. <laughs> your children are curious. They're going to want to learn. They're going to want to know where this fabric came from or, you know, there's new photos of Mars. How does water come out of a tap faucet? You know, just research with them and say 50% of the time, just say, I don't know, let's find out, you know, and, and just follow the little rabbit holes that are created by their own curiosity and you can't go wrong. And we loosely reference um, Howard Gardner's multiple intelligence theory, just so, you know, that, that voice in the back of my head that says, am I actually educating them appropriately, you know? Um, I just reference that. So it's musical intelligence, linguistic language intelligence, math, logic, um, intrapersonal one, the, the ability to go within and actually identify what you're feeling, you know, some social life skills stuff too. And I mean, even just teaching them or hopefully modeling for them how to apologize that taking responsibility is actually kind of exciting and super relaxing. Just letting them know how... I'll say things to them like, hey, you might get away with slapping my butt in this living room, but if you did that out in the world, you'd go to jail. <laughs> and then they go, okay, <laughs> I won't do that. Just letting them know, like, this is how it works here in this house, and here's what would happen if you tried doing that lining up for a falafel. <laughs> will they Will they continue to be unschooled for their whole um, kind of child? I mean, do you ever want to put them into a institution at all, or are you very anti it? I'm not... I'm neutral. So if, if, okay, you know, the running joke is I'm like, okay, if you want to go to college, I'll support that. You know? So if they ever want, if they, any of them turned to me and said, I really want to go to school now, they'd be going to school. 
whenever they want. Were you schooled by your parents? Um, no. I mean, yes, every day. They're both teachers, so yeah. I'd come oh, home really? from school and then, then that would begin. But I loved it. Right. I mean, the kind of, you know, my dad was, was a principal and a teacher up until about two years ago. And my mom's taught forever, so. What did they think about your choice to unschool them? Um, it made sense to them. It just seemed really daunting, I think. They were just, it's a commitment. You know, a lot of people I know are totally up for the idea of it. But understandably, they don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> I'm, you know, doing all my work at three in the morning. But I, I mean, I'm already seeing it pay off, for lack of a better term. I'm already seeing them. Their curiosity is built. And, you know, they know that they can, if they have an idea, they can make it manifest. All this stuff, it's, it's pretty exciting to watch them do their thing. The, the key for me is how do us as parents not lose our minds mm, mm. <laughs> while, while we're giving and giving and giving. And so for me, it's the tantamount to really keep the eye on the how do we compensate for all that expenditure, you know, because it feels like so much energy is going out. I'm giving, I'm looking, I'm discerning, I'm CEOing, I'm buy-sell merging, you know, and you mentioned finances mm-hmm. a second ago, Jesse, mm-hmm. like that's it's an, a full-time mm-hmm. job. And then our bodies are female bodies in theory. So all of a sudden we're, we're using all these faculties that have stereotypically, like you said, been used, you know, in a heterosexual relationship by the, the man that brings home the bacon, you know. So, so we're doing all of these things and the role, it sounds like in your case, Jesse, definitely in mine, our husbands play a different kind of role of providing a currency that is not stereotypical. Mm. So whereas the currency might be literal money in the past, now it's, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go record a song for Jimmy Fallon and I really need you to hang out and just make sure that everything's okay and the couple people that are social distancing, that they're fed. And so he's like my partner in crime. I'm, there's no way I could do this without him, but he's not doing the conventional, you know, no, no, neither am I. I've never been able to do the conventional. And I tried, I tried dating people where I, you know, where I played the, the, the more yin um, beta character and it lasted all of about a week before I imploded. <laughs> I tried. Do you have time to cook? No. <laughs> uh, no. That's, that, I, I'm crestfallen when, when this is even brought up because I really love cooking, but I don't. So who cooks? I, no one eats. We don't cook. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the road. The 11-month-old just made her that smoothie, Mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get to work. Mom's, mom's hungry. <laughs> um, we have a b- little bit of a village here, so uh, we have two or three people who are inc- actually four people who are incredible chef cook women. So on any given day, we'll just be like, "Hey, you want to make dumplings today?" Because I'm a foodie, so I need. I, you know, I love variety. I love international anything. You know, if they're going to risk fusing or hybridizing, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. So I can do very basic things. If my children were hungry and, it were, and we were alone on an island and there happened to be a kitchen on that island, I could take care of them for life. But I don't cook. What's your best dish if you had to? If I had to, um, it would be my soups. I'm kind of obsessed with soups. Anything, broth, 100 vegetables, proteins if people eat them. Just like a party, a party soups, the super dense. And when you put the ladle in, it's like... You're good for a few hours. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm a sauce person. So if everything's like rice, protein, vegetables, and then 600 sauces, that really speaks to the part of me that wants variety and newness. But then there's another part that wants consistency and predictability. So I 
feel like sauces take care of that. <laughs> I need to know about this village, though. Like, is it like, are you on like a commune, like a kibbutzy kind of, it sounds like a kind of, it sounds amazing, but I want to know. When I say village, I mean. It's a household. It's a household. The household. Yeah. Okay. The team of people. That... But, you know, you know, I mean, back in the day in villages, there mm. were 17 grandmothers, 16 grandfathers. Yeah, I remember being in Fiji once and I was walking down the street and these two boys, nine-year-old boys, adorable, like arm in arm, snuggling each other, walking down the road. And I turned to them and I said, where are your grandparents? You know, and their response was precious. They just said, they just moved their fingers like, they're everywhere. Don't bother us, you know? <laughs> like, and so the sense these kids had on that street was that there were family members everywhere, which is what the village is. And then our modern, our so-called modern times, and it's really come to the fore right now with us in lockdown world, is we're all in little pods, mm. you know? And so my dream was always that revolving door where aunties are coming over, uncles are coming over, they're, they're kidnapping the kids to go for some adventure, canoeing, and then they come home and we cook. And I'm very, very communal. I mean, I live for relationships. I also think there's an art to living communally. Little, little basic things like, if you buy something you wanna eat and you wanna make sure no one eats it, you have to put a post-it note on it that says, touch this <laughs> and you're going down. <laughs> You know, little lots of post-it notes in the fridge of don't touch this or, um, but there's an art to it. My husband actually lived on a commune till he was nine. How, how was that for him? Well, he absolutely loved it. He was, he was surrounded by really powerful, strong women. And I think that was really helpful for his mom. And you. And he had a really positive exper <laughs> experience. Well, he's absolutely, he's like the most incredible yeah. father. And I wonder whether it's because he's been surrounded. I mean, his dad is great too. But yes, I wonder whether that has influenced him. Yeah. And the energy and the comfortableness of being with women. So, you know, and feeling like he can take that less of a, yeah. a whatever, you know, stereotypical role. Yeah. And also the, there's less pressure because there's a lot of pressure on men to conform to some way of being as a man, which is so limited mm. and gross. Um, but yeah, there's uh, I like to categorize things. Um, but one category I have in my head is there's a man to sort of dissolve the patriarchy thing. No pressure, just we'll do it in like a minute or two. Um, so there's the there's the man who hates the feminine, hates women, and will not change. We know we know that. Then the second type is the man who was taught patriarchy, taught hatred, taught disrespect, but goes to therapy, does couples work maybe in a hetero relationship, or is highly influenced by some women in their lives, and they can shift their behavior. And then there's the kind of man who was born into a family like you were describing your husband and definitely my husband too, where mom was already doing sort of non-stereotypical stuff and she was, you know, in, in my case anyway, she was the primary breadwinner. So there was nothing unusual about soul I marrying me and, it, and that being the role because that was normal to him. So those are the three types. And I, and I used to date all three types. And then at one point I just said, I, I'm so tired of the idea of me clipping my wings to make a romantic relationship work. So I just said, I'll, I'll go for the third type. The third type has a mom or a community where women were celebrated and it's not weird for them to not clip my wings. How about that? And that's why I'm married. <laughs> how, di how did you meet? Um, I had a ceremony at my house and uh, a couple of really close friends were coming. It was just going to be a quiet experience. And then my friend said, can I bring my friend Solai? And I was, I was and am very private in, in certain ways. So I said, is he cool? 
And that's kind of code for, is he going to trip out? Is he going to take photos of my home? Am I going to be, you know? Um, and they said, no, no, he's so cool. So doorbell rang and I opened the door and then I saw Soli and I thought, uh-oh, I am feeling some things. <laughs> I am feeling some things. Um, and so then we had the ceremony and his friend was interested in me, but I had said no to any future for us. So it was this kind of awkward, we really like each other, but are we supposed to be friends? Are we supposed to mentor each other in some way? I have no idea what form this should take. Then we did a hike and we made out. <laughs> at the top of the hill or when you finished? Well, at the top, it was very, very cinematic. <laughs> you were euphoric, you'd reached the top, you had to have a snog. Yes, and we snogged, as you say. And then I was doing a marathon two days later and I was terrified that I was gonna roll my ankle because I'm an ankle roller. It's a type of person. And so I, he saw that look on my face at the top of like, God, I'm doing a marathon in two days. So he just said, get on my back. And it was, get, it was getting dark and I had a little flashlight. So I was holding the flashlight and he put me on his back and carried me all the way down the hill or the mountain really. And I remember thinking, he's protecting my ankle on our first date. I like this. <laughs> oh my God, mum. Oh, mum and I would want in able life to somebody pick us to up. hike me down the hill. Carry and me pick down me up for a whole fucking the, hill. The for a whole canyon. <laughs> Carry me down everything. How about that? That's amazing. And yeah. um, do you remember? Oh, wow. And then what was that it? He came to, I mean, that, that was the beginning of everything yeah. for you two. Yep. And he did a show. He's an artist. So he had been inviting me to see him perform. And I, I don't know why I was, I wasn't even purposefully playing hard to get, but I just kept saying no. And then, I mean, cause sometimes purposely I would in the past, I admit. Um, but this time I wasn't. And then I eventually said yes. And he was just so chivalrous and he jumped on stage and freestyled for 20 minutes. And I saw these women going up to him and <laughs> kind of googly eyed. And I was, I had this like back off. rush of like, stay away from my man. <laughs> I was like, he's not your man, first of all. <laughs> and interesting that you're a little jealous. So, um, so that was a cute sign that I was interested. Oh, wow. And, and you got married. We did. We got married pretty quick. Yep. I love being married. What was the food? What was oh, the yeah, food, food at the wedding? Um, oh, my gosh. Where did you get married, first of all? At, at our house. At your we house. We got married in, in the backyard. It was so great. Um, food. You know, when I'm really nervous or uh, I, I barely eat, and I know that's not really a foodie thing, but it's a, when I'm nervous, I can't really, I'm either focusing on my food or I'm focusing on what's going on. I can't really do both. Lord knows I can eat mindlessly. I could do it like anybody, but, but I don't want to. When I'm eating, it's like having a relationship with what's in front of me and we're having a dialogue <laughs> while I'm stuffing it in my face. Um, so to answer your question about what the food was at the wedding, I don't even remember. It was delicious though. <laughs> Everyone loved it. I didn't eat any of it, but. Everyone was so happy. <laughs> I was married, <laughs> which was big for me. <laughs> what did I have for lunch? Marriage. Bet your mum and dad were happy. <laughs> My parents were blissed out. Good. It was a fun dance floor, I'll tell you. What was your first dance? Are we allowed to know or would you like to keep it private? Oh, I have, I, I'll tell you it was um, Orange Sky by Alexi Murdoch. I don't think I know that. It's long too, so you can dance forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I oh, orange sky I'm gonna I'm gonna go and have a little dance with my husband after this oh yeah so I mean I'm interested if the nerves take um so much kind of it, it can dictate whether you can eat or not mm. regarding like performances I mean you are 
an accomplished performer and artist, do you still get nervous? Do you is food quite important on tour for you, or does it kind of like is it get in the way of a, a performance for you? Um, yeah, I still get nervous all the time. If we're in some sort of rhythm where we're doing a tour or we're on a tour and we're doing sh plenty of shows in a row, then I just kind of get excited rather than nervous. But if I haven't done a show in a long time, fully nervous. But that's okay. The first twelve minutes, I'm a bit of a bag of nerves, and then it segues into this really warm physical, emotional experience. Um, but food, I mean, food is everything to me. And even though there will be times where I don't feel like eating, and I think some of that is, some of that is the medication, um, because I usually have a robust appetite. Um, nutrients, so people ask, are you vegan? Are you carnivorous? What are you, you know? And I said, and I, I answer that I'm a nutritarian. I live for nutrients. Well, I've never heard this one, hold on a minute. Tell me, what, explain, what is it? Nutritarian for me just means if it's teeming with nutrients and minerals and phytochemicals and all of that, and it's delicious, it has to be delicious. It can't just be nutritious, that's gross. Um, so both the bothness, so if I'm eating something that might be delicious, but I know it has no nutrients in it, that's kind of how we qualify it in the house. So ever Onyx will just hold something up and they'll say, are there any nutrients in this mom? And I'll look at it and I'll go, nope. And they're like, okay, <laughs> they'll still eat it, but you know, they just want to know what's in it that's going to help the body basically. So it That's takes, really takes the interesting. Yeah. Because, uh, no, it's really interesting because my daughter, we're trying to encourage her. I mean, obviously she just wants chicken nuggets and, and beige food as a lot of, well, yeah, not, normal. All, not all four-year-olds, but like, Most. you know, she's definitely <laughs> a lot, a lot of them do like that. Mm. And so we try, we're trying to, you know, we're, we're trying our hardest. We kind of gave up for a bit and now we're trying to reintroduce the yeah. stuff that she was eating when she was a bloody baby and didn't realise what it was. And, um, and, and did it work or no? Well, it, it, this thing about them, uh, we don't say is it nutritious, but like it's interesting because we say uh, this will make you strong or this will make you nice. yeah. be Same able thing. to, um, you know, play harder yeah. or, yeah, or run faster yes. or, you know. Mm. And she definitely yes. feels like she's kind of she's engaging more with that and so she'll be like this will make me really run fast and I'm like Aww. yes it will but I mean you awesome. know also yeah but it's, it's it's interesting well if you told her to make her hair long and straight oh, yeah. and blonde everything. like Elsa's yeah. then she well I've okay. tried that well, one yeah. too that's, but... that's the next white lie <laughs> I know yeah. I know I know no, you know we do when when you know they're called it's called picky eater but I don't even really believe that I think it's particular eater so um what I used to do is I'd do taste tests. So we'd blindfold them and I'd put about 14 or so little pieces of food in a row and then do the taste test. And inevitably there'd be maybe one thing that would get them excited and that I'd make a plate of that, you know? So, cause what, you know, it's, it's so hard as you probably know, I don't need to tell any parent this to make a full plate of something. And then they look at it and they go, no way. I know. You know, we're not, we're not going to force them to eat it. And Lord knows I've been forced to eat food and it doesn't, doesn't turn out well, but, um, you know, and I remember Dr. Joel Furman at one point, I, I said, how do you get your children? This was before, I mean, uh, when, uh, ever was really tiny. And I asked him, I said, how do you feed your kids nutritious food? You know, I was pretty new to the whole story. He goes, you know what? They'll get hungry. <laughs> yeah. That was his response. It's such a great response. They'll get hungry. And then when you offer them the plate of strawberries, they'll be really happy that they have the strawberries. I'm like, okay. And, and at the same time, you know, we have a little bit of a gray area. I don't want them to feel super deprived because that starts an eating disorder, right? So if I get too freaked out about what they're eating, it's going, that's going to project energetically onto them. And then they're going to feel weird around food. And 
you know, I'm recovered, I'm recovering eating disorder person. So I have a, a general sense of things to say and things not to say around food, you know, and I fail all the time. But basically, I know the words not to say to my daughter to not trigger a, f a future um, eating disorder or whatever. There's certain things not to say or the certain things to say. Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, is that at some point when they get older, they're going to have their own appetite and their own style with food. So for now, I'm just making sure that they have enough nutrients to be able to to keep running around to the degree they do. I can't even believe the amount of energy. I'm just like, where does it come from? I, you know, we'll, we'll run them around ragged all day on a beach or at a track even. I'll just be like, run, run, run. And then my, my husband and they still and I don't will, want to go to sleep. No, it's even worse. My husband and I will smugly smile at each other like, they're going to bed early tonight. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're going to get some time together. Cut to one in the morning, they're like, ah, running around even more. So none of it works. <laughs> If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I wanted to know, I mean, we ask every person this question, but a desert island meal, if you had, it was going to be your dream meal, mm. starter, main, dessert and drink of choice what would be your dream meal I, I believe that broth would be in there somewhere yeah broth um bone broth for me is like the savior for the no appetite postpartum they have vegan ones too if people uh okay so desert island i would definitely want um something european <laughs> i would want probably some german meats hungarian meats like salami bratwurst Schnitzel. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. Got it. Got it. Okay, so then uh, on the side, uh, anything garlicky, so garlic, spinach, mm. steamed, blah, blah, blah. Anything green, steamed. And then desserts. No chips. No french fries. I, I'll do french sure. fries. No, you don't I have like, to I have like truffle, fr truffle fries. Oh, everyone likes You don't that. have to have yeah. them. Said no one ever. You don't have to have the french fries. Oh, I'll have them. 
Um, tr so one thing we did was make, we do the yam fries, cut them up, Ooh. drizzle truffle oil, and then crack um, Himalayan black salt onto it. Himalayan black salt? I've only had the pink I've salt. I've only got the rose Ooh. pink salt. So Sorry, it's Hawaiian black salt. Not oh, it's Hawaiian black sauce. Okay. Right? Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, it's really delicious. And then maybe you make a dip. It's all about the sauces. Yeah. <laughs> maybe some sort of special dip. And then dessert-wise, ooh, I think straight up ice cream or sorbet or something. Yeah, I love ice cream. And then I've been obsessed with with the you know umami, um, pungent, sweet. Like I've been, I like going down the rabbit hole of all the words you can use to describe taste. There's something like the top seven but umami, umami big fan too let's throw some sort of umami something in there anything with a dip alanis <laughs> do you drink i do and i sing about it <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your what's your drink um i love tequila i've written a song called on the tequila oh yeah um, and um rose like a snobby little californian um, You're in the right spot for that, right? Yes, right by Sonoma. And red wine is a nice. Yeah. Over some Italian something, something. Alanis, can I just ask you, you know, when you wrote all those, isn't it ironic, and all of those songs, was that about a person? Um, that particular song was the first song that I wrote with Glenn Ballard for the record. So he and I were still writing lyrics together and just sort of very haphazardly kind of trying okay. to entertain each other. But not really thinking it was going to be about anyone. And it was the song after that where I started to write hyper-autobiographically and I just took over the, the, the lyric part and we kept writing the music together. Um, and the songs became, became really fast, fast to be who written. Is the bad, who is the bad boy you ought to the... know is about? <laughs> oh, mummy. <laughs> Oh, that's why we've got her. She asked the hard question. Oh, you're, you're doing the, the good, the good cop, bad cop thing right now. That's how you get them. It's so <laughs> rousing. And, you, oh. you know, every woman that's been wronged feels like they want to tell that mm. person yeah, when they've been wronged that, that you ought to know. Yes. And the thing about that is that for me as a Canadian, first of all, I'm a bit of an imploder, so I'll sublimate and everything goes into my unconscious. And then when I sit down in a studio, it all comes rushing out, almost like it's being, a bunch of horses are being channeled through. My, this, my uh, producer, Guy Sigsworth, who I worked with a few years ago, <laughs> whenever I'd come into the studio, he'd say, okay, so what horse from the apocalypse is coming in today? I was, I was just like, oh my God, is that how you see these songs? Um, so another horse came in, of course, but, um, so what I, I, I really love revenge fantasy, you know, <gasps> imagining it, writing songs about it, even sort of physicalizing it, like what I would do, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but I just don't do it. <laughs> so oh. my kids, you know, my son will want to hit me or anybody and I'll just go, you know what? I totally understand wanting to hit someone. I want to <laughs> hit people all the time and I just don't. <laughs> but I hit this or I hit this pillow or I write this song or... You know, so the non-destructive thing is key. So it's a fantasy. Well, it's real. It's about lots of men, maybe. No, it's about a person. You ought to know it's about a person. But, but I'll never talk about it because that would take it out of what I really believe, which is the, the, the imagination of revenge, you know. It's like I might imagine wrecking something because I'm so angry. I don't want to wreck something. No. So, um, so for me, t 
telling the names and addresses and information about all the people I'm writing about would be counter to why I wrote it, really. Sure, I understand. It's just that I wondered if it was about a person. It is about a person. Yeah. Good. Yes. And I hope he, he does know. And I hope he didn't. I don't know if he knows. Find happiness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope he so did. your revenge goes from fantasy yeah. <laughs> into consequence. No. Because uh, he ought to know. Doesn't he ought? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he knew. Well, how many times you plucked Something tells me he now yeah, knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although there will be no corroboration. There never will be because, again, it just doesn't... Yeah, but the, yeah. the best revenge is being happy, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Of course it is. Okay, thanks. I'm going to I'm gonna work that one. The best revenge <laughs> that you're very happy and, and you're... In postpartum you're, depression. The absolute life, <laughs> the perfect life that you want to have. Which I do. Yeah. I do have the life that I want to have. I wanted to ask because there was a, a lyric that stuck out and I'm sorry, I'm going to misquote it, but you will know and it's in Reasons I Drink and it was talking about working... Um, from single digits. Okay. So what were you doing? Would you mean that like you were writing songs or were mm. you just, just I was interested about that lyric. Yeah, what does that mean? Um, yeah, basically I'm a, you know, in terms of addictions, I have about 15 of them, but my main ones are love addiction, food addiction and work addiction. And work addiction is gaining a little bit more attention now. A gentleman named Brian Robinson is sort of the seminal voice in my mind, and I'm, I have the privilege of feeling really close with him and having worked with him. Basically what it is, it's overgiving, over-serving, overworking, not knowing the limits, over-expending. And I, I, you know, that was my role in my family, was to help and serve and watch. And I'm very empath, I'm high empath, highly sensitive. So in a way that's a gift and a curse sometimes. I can really tune in to how everybody's moods are and I kind of ride it a little bit. So basically when I say I was working since I can remember, I was definitely writing songs, taking dance lessons and spending an inordinate amount of time outside of school in music studios with tons of adults, not all of whom knew how to really protect a child, let's just say. But yeah, just basically in a sort of parentified older than her years and, is, and, the, and the ways that it would be praised or rewarded would be would sound like oh wow you're so poised or you're so wise beyond your years and but on some level that was kind of exploited you know like oh I know you're only 12 but come with me or I know you're only 10 but I am going to take you up on this marital advice or I know you're only 15 but you know I, I think I'm in love with you and I mean, I, there was so much more of a rabbit hole conversation that is warranted around that. And I sing about it, a song called Sandbox Love is a song about what, what healthy sex could look like after having been sexually abused. Because there's so much right now, hashtag me too, about mm. finally admitting what's happened and maybe seeking some sort of reparative, corrective experience publicly, which is great. But there's not a lot written about what do you do now though? Once, once I've done the inner work and tons of therapy and trying to figure out how to heal the sexual abuse or sexual um, abuse basically, wounds, how do I have sex now? What does it look like? I, I have nothing to reference, you know? So Sandbox Love, the song is about just diving into that world of like, where do, where do we go now as a couple knowing what we know, you know, and that it's awkward and hilarious and, slightly paralyzed and and then awesome you know so it's a new world for me on a sexual level too I've never really had healthy sex until now it's clearly therapeutic sandbox love it's 
how you get through a really horrendous experience and you both are struggling and you manage it with humor and laughter and taking things back to basic nice. really That's it. in the sandbox, isn't it? Yeah. Like to, going all the way back to, yeah. let's say I was having yeah. my first sexual experience at, I don't know what age, yeah. I don't even know what's appropriate. Eight years old, 11 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old. I have no idea. I attempt to normalize all body parts as best as I can. Like, this is your forehead. This is your elbow. This is your vagina. This is your toe. This is your, you know, so we try to keep everything neutral and use the actual words instead of words that kind of denote shame about genitals or shame about body parts. I mean, we're figuring it out in real time, but I want to, as best as I can, just to sort of keep it untinged by my past. Well, I hate to say, but I just worked out why? why people call a lady's parts pussy. Because? It comes from the word pusillanimous, which means... I didn't know this! Um, frightened, cowardly. Hold on. Well, Do you feel like somebody's being generous to all these idiots that call it a pussy? I wow. feel like this is far more... I was just going to say that's, um, that's giving few people a lot of credit. <laughs> pusillanimous, and it means cowardly and kind of fey and, yeah. Like a flower? That's what I read yesterday. Yeah. Wow, I'm going to uh I'm going to follow up. That's that's on the curriculum today. Now you know. <laughs> now I know. Oh, thank you by the way. I was I was completely that yeah, I was lost and now I am found and I can't pronounce it. I want to learn more. I want to know Alanis, would you ever do like a little summer camp for keen learners that want to come over to the Alanis Morissette, you know, summer camp of of learning? I feel like you should like have a school of thought almost. Like are you going to do something like this? Are you going to write a book on this? Yeah, I've I've done some talks at UCLA a few years ago just to kind of cut my teeth and then started doing some keynote talks. And then I did probably 3 at this point sort of formal quote-unquote teachings at a place called 1440 Multiversity but with what's going on right now pandemic wise they're they're closed for the time being but I love getting in a room with you know maybe tops 200 people and then I I have co-leaders who co-lead with me and we just we go for it for two or three days and really drill down and have experiential exercises you know and it's such a gift for me too because it's just smack dab in the middle of the pure humanity you know and everyone in the room is safe and there's nothing being asked of anyone that is going to push them beyond their limit it's very important to me that people say no if they don't want to participate in something so it's a pretty safe idyllic environment um and i'd love to do more i've also done a podcast with a lot of authors and people who've helped me over the years different teachers and mentors um and a book is being written. There's about 1,300 pages. And when this record comes out, I'm finishing a meditation record that we're working on. Because I, I just thought, wow, this is all happening. My nervous system is jacked to high heaven. I'm like, what could I create that would be a win for me and then a service to others? And meditation music is really good for the nervous system. So we're doing that next. And then the book will likely follow. And the, the challenge with the book is that the topics are so disparate in a way. Like... I'm attempting to put it all in one book, but I don't want it to be War and Peace. So I might separate it into different volumes. That sounds so exciting. I can't wait for yes. the meditation record too. And I have um, this corner of the library just has all these instruments and my kids come in and play and we're recording it all through Zoom. And I've never done a record not in person with someone. So this is new for me. Wow. This is, I mean... I, I want to just tell you that we were playing on the same bill in Finland a few years ago and uh, it was like a, it was like a jazz festival oh, I think cool. but 
I was on the bill and you were on the bill, um, but it was it was a lovely festival, mm. right? And you were headlining. Mm. And I, I think I was on before you or maybe like one before you. And um, and we had to leave because we had a gig the like oh. somewhere else. We had to leave mm. as we heard you go on stage. Mm. And so we put on Jag Little Pill and I had honestly the best sing song. I was, I was, I think I was about nine weeks pregnant with my son oh. and I felt like oh, shit. God. And we, I, we sung to the top of our voices, my whole band. And it was so cathartic mm. and wonderful. Oh. Um, I wanted to know, have you got a karaoke song or do you not like it? Because I don't usually like it, but it felt really good to be Alanis Morissette for about an hour in the coach on the way back. Oh man. <laughs> when you say karaoke, do you mean, um, who do I sing along with and try to sound like? Well, I mean, I'm kind of interested in both, yeah. but like, who would you who, do who would if do? you were in karaoke bar? Yeah. All right. If I were, it would be, so as a, as a young girl, I used to think that if I could sing along with Aretha Franklin and Patti LaBelle and even Mariah Carey, if I could hit these notes, yeah. that somehow it would legitimize me as a vocalist. So anytime I'd hear a song where there were some gymnastic vocal things going on, I would just immediately start singing to see if I could almost like a gymnastics exercise. Like, can I get out, can I, can I flip three times too? Um, so that was my way of attempting to quaff my vocal cords. But I've never, have I done a, I don't think I've even done a karaoke. I would be way too Canadian self-conscious to do that. I think it's the Brit thing too. We are quite like, I, I find it quite uncomfortable. I, and yeah. you know, yeah, I, I kind of, I, yeah. I think it's for people that aren't singers and then they can really let rip. Well, people who are singers who, who just, you know, it's number 92 on their list of things that they have time for. So they yeah. go to that karaoke <laughs> and blow people's minds every Friday night. <laughs> I um or not <laughs> I really I, I want to thank you for being on our podcast this is honestly such an honor to have you oh, and just oh, to yes. listen to you talk oh you are a royalty to us oh you're so sweet both of you I'm so glad I could see your faces even though everyone else couldn't <laughs> and just so everyone knows when like you you've got dates to tour in 2021 2021 we're we're hoping everyone feels safe enough to come into a room we'll see what happens but we're coming. I mean, well, we'll, we'll come and tour. And I mean, I'm chomping at the bit, but I'm also, it won't be a minute before people feel safe, obviously. Yeah. Well, look, I'm sending you love and congratulations on the record. And, oh, thank um, you both. and have, have a wonderful day. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mad about you, Alanis. So thank you so oh, much. Yeah, oh, me too. I'm mad about you both. Oh, thanks you both. Thanks for all the sweetness you're throwing all around, around the planet. Bless you. Thanks for this. that I didn't swear that yeah. much until right at the end I don't know if that is ironic the school of Morissette she's a bit of a goddess she's a goddess yeah I was like writing notes like I was in a seminar like I was back at uni she's like a, an encyclopedia I'm sorry I'm not going to homeschool my kids though because <laughs> I am not a saint no what's her husband like he must be a big bloke why? Because he carried it down a mountain, you dope. I love that. So, uh, what lasted with you after that inc incredible, inspiring chat with uh, international goddess, thinker, the bloke that carried her down the hill must be really oh, strong. Oh, no, what he looks like. Alanis Morissette, I feel, 
enriched and thankful that I just got to basically hear your school of thought, which is eye-opening and wonderful and such warmth. This is a woman who has been so famous and so successful and to be so open with us strangers she doesn't know us at all I don't think she knew I was a singer either she was doing this and she was so open and generous and that was wonderful I loved it mum you still with us yeah I'm just looking up so I what a woman what a mind and what a voice she looks very happy with him she <laughs> mum is now looking at google images of Soul Eye and Alanis, and they look I'm very happy whether together. Whether you could carry it down a mountain. Well, I'm going to go and listen to Orange Sky, their first dance. I'm going to go and have my dinner. Thank you, Alanis Morissette. Such pretty forks in the road is out now, and I think you should all go and listen to it because you wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm here to remind you that Such Pretty Forks in the Road is out now. Go and listen to it. Thank you, Alanis Morissette. And I'm here to you remind you thank you so much for listening to table manners i'm sure you just enjoyed that and we will see you next week the music you've listened to on table manners is by peter duffy and pete fraser And Table Manners is edited by the wonderful Alice Williams. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com